loved it. I send you a copy. Bam! Bitch went down. And welcome back to Horror Queers. Horror stuff. Gay stuff. All of the above. Yeah. I'm Joe. And I'm Trace. (laughs) All right. And we have a very, very special guest star. He's muted, but hopefully he'll unmute himself. We're joined by Brennan Klein. I didn't know how long you were going to go, so I didn't want to interrupt accidentally. (laughs) (laughs) Brennan, Um, this is an auspicious start. (laughs) Hi. (laughs) Look, I'm a professional. I'm, I was like, I'm going to sit here and let them do their thing. And that thing took 20 seconds, and that's fine. Um, yeah, we're you know, short but sweet. It, it happens to everyone. It's yes. totally fine. I'm not mad. This has never happened before, I swear. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, I'm Brennan. I am the producer of the Attack of the Queer Wolf podcast over at Blumhouse. But I also do a million other things. But that's probably the reason I got invited on here. Uh, and because of Scream 101. Yeah, I was yes. going to say... <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. I didn't want. I just. I don't like talking about myself. That's why I'm bad at um, getting audience members. <laughs> no, I also I co-host the Scream 101 podcast with my boyfriend, so it's Ooh. automatically queer. <laughs> with um, my new boyfriend, <laughs> I know he's actually he's currently uh, wrapped up in a blanket in the other room with the wife, and not 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 his wife, but the Glenn Close movie. So good luck to him. Mm. But yeah, we we review. Well, now we're doing horror franchises. We're just kind of running through them all and reviewing them because he's not a huge horror guy and I am. So we kind of, you know, tag team it from those two different perspectives. Well, they're both great podcasts and I love them. And yes, um, Thank you. it's not just Queer Wolf as to why you were invited. I would argue actually it's more Scream 101 because okay, I love that. you do have a bit more of a presence on that one. Well, you don't say. You mean I can get a word in edgewise on my own podcast? Yeah, it's true. Those three catty bitches never let you talk. Ooh, they they love to talk, and that's why I love to have them. You know, be doing do my show. There yeah. you go. <laughs> so, Joe, what? Uh, and Brennan, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm so used to saying just Joe. Uh, Joe and Brennan, what are we discussing today? So today we are talking about quintessential teen slasher film. Cherry Falls from the year 2000. I did not see this when it first came out. Um, well, I use the word came out loosely because it <laughs> it was <I'm> just... <laughs> when un- it first snuck onto the scene. Onto USA Network, if you were watching that at the time. So do y'all know about the tragic history behind this movie? I mean, yes, but some of the audience might not. No, no, no. Yeah, we're going to get there. I just wanted to make sh- see what I was working with. Oh, okay, I was just cueing you. Never mind. <laughs> Oh, to, to like move into the tragic history of this yeah, movie? Yeah, like tell me, Trace. He okay. doesn't take notes well. No. <laughs> I'm really dense. Yeah, no. Uh, so Cherry Falls uh, released October 20th of 2000 by USA Film slash October Films, which we'll kind of get into in a second. But it was made for a budget of $14 million. Dear Lord. <laughs> which, to be fair, though, actually, this isn't fair. It's, I don't see that. All that money is off the screen. It is, yeah. I mean, something. Anyway, so I have no box office information to give you because it did not go to theaters. Uh, this movie. You mean you don't know have how much ruples it made over in Europe? <laughs> no. That, yeah, so, okay. I'll just run through it really quick. So, listeners and you two, Cherry Falls was going to be distributed by October Films, uh, you know, a major U.S. independent film production company that was owned by Universal Pictures. After filming wrapped, which, and we'll talk about it, but the production of this film was fraught with problems and with tension that the director has pretty much confessed that was mostly his fault. But anyway, so after the movie wrapped, Universal sold 
its shares of October Films to someone named Barry Diller. And this is in 1999. Uh, and he merged it with Gramercy Pictures and renamed the new company USA Films. So when this happened, this is kind of... I mean, this is like the beginning of the end for this movie. But we're looking at post-Columbine. So at the time of the impending release, the Senate was also having hearings over sex and violence in teen films, which threw a spotlight on Cherry Falls. But this has none of that. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, it would have. So... Cherry Falls has all of those things. Well, it would have had all of those things. And USA Films, since they were a new company, they didn't want their first release to essentially just defy what the Senate was asking Hollywood to do, which was eschew these graphic sexual depictions from their films. So rather than give it a theatrical release, they just dumped it on their network USA. Uh, but as you mentioned, it did go to theaters across the lake, across the pond. Uh, <laughs> it's across the pond, right? Actually... You know, ponds are smaller than lakes, so it's even more inaccurate. Right. But think I think I think the saying is across the pond. It so, is. <laughs> uh, and it made money over there because it was, yeah, they sold it at, at Cannes. But they also had to cut out a lot of things from this movie, including the teen orgy, which, by the way, a fun little fact, the writer of the movie in his interview on the, on the Blu-ray, the first thing he says is, well, I always wanted to write a teen orgy. So the idea for this movie came from that. And I built the plot around it. So he worked backwards like Speed 2 Cruise Control. Which is actually the subtitle of the original subtitle for this film. Cruise Control? Cruise Control? Yeah. <laughs> Was, cruise control. I think we're downplaying that this man just always wanted to write a teen orgy. I just didn't want to think about that. <laughs> I mean, go big or go home, right? No, yeah, for sure. So, I mean, again, there's, there's a lot of like, you know, studio mumbo jumbo and what I just said. But basically, this film got fucked in the ass five times over. Which usually is a good thing. Yes. <laughs> And had it happened on screen, the film probably would have better notoriety. Yeah. And luckily, though, and I don't know if y'all read the script that I sent y'all last night, but the Blu-ray does come with a copy of the original draft of the script. And there are some things that were changed. Not a lot, but a lot of it seems to be with that troubled production and things getting cut out. Not just the Senate hearings. I don't do homework. <laughs> yeah, I don't read scripts. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> I just... I think in my head, it triggered me like when all my friends send me their scripts. I'm like, sure, I read that. Don't worry. It's great. Brennan's like, well, all my friends, they just send me their scripts. I have so many scripts at the wazoo. Ooh. No, look, look, I was an intern at Blumhouse for approximately six months of my life. And I received so many scripts in the process. And like, who do you think I am? I can't just like slide these under Blum's door. Oh, because you because you work there. So everyone was like, can you read my script? And maybe just like help me along yeah girl well it's la so doesn't everyone literally just carry around a script on the off chance they bump into someone exactly yeah i'm just imagining like all these giant bags that men and women must carry with their scripts inside like multiple copies no, of their scripts th they actually carve them onto grains of rice so it's easier to carry and it's also gluten-free <laughs> oh wacky health nuts oh i was gonna say i guess they just have a bunch of flash drives but then you have to buy a bunch of flash drives which is probably more expensive than printing off all the paper so let's yes. get back to the movie <laughs> Anyway, so this movie actually has a Rotten Tomatoes score, which kind of surprised me. Um, I don't know the viewership numbers for this on TV. Uh, but anyway, so you're looking at 57% on Rotten Tomatoes based on 14 reviews, which is a bit lower than I was expecting it to be. Because it is, even though not great, it's better than most of those post-scream slashers. The average score of 6 out of 10, but an audience score of 31%. Oh, boy. Uh, 
with uh, an average of 2.7 out of 5 or 5.4 out of 10. Uh, there is no Metacritic score. This isn't a movie that I thought audiences would really rally against, but apparently people don't like this movie very much. I can think of a couple of reasons. We don't have to get into them now, but it's not as surprising to me. All right. Uh, directed by Australian director Jeffrey Wright, whose biggest credits to his name are a 90s movie called Romper Stomper. Honestly, since Cherry Falls, the only notable thing that I saw that he did was um, a, a version of Macbeth. Um, so mm. there's that. Uh, the writer, Ken Selden, has done nothing of note since this movie came out. <laughs> <laughs> Shocking. And the cinematographer, who I, we don't really talk about them a lot, but I wanted to bring it up because he's going to come up because he had a lot of issues with Jeffrey Wright during production. Uh, but the cinematographer is Anthony B. Richmond, who has done such wonderful films as Candyman, Ooh. Mm-hmm. Ravenous, mm-hmm. Legally Blonde. All right. Keep talking. And The Sweetest Thing. Mm. His career <laughs> took a turn, didn't it? Yeah, those are all in chronological order. So <laughs> he's actually moved on to a lot of rom-coms. I was very impressed. He was like, yeah, you know what? I'm done with this blood shit, and I'd like to go into poppy pink. Well, r- red to pink isn't a huge transition. Ooh, Fair good. Good, good call on that. I agree. So we have our lead actress, Brittany Murphy. Rip. <laughs> yeah. It still feels too soon. It really does. It. I mean, I think she died back in 09, I want to say, so 10 years. It's been a while. Oh, man. I loved her. I loved her so much. And can we just get it out of the way right off the top? She's excellent in this film. I think she's really good. I think actually a lot of the people, well, mm. yeah, she's really good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I was, keep going. Keep I going. was about to make a blanket statement. I was like, ooh, well, no, not. Yeah. And then, you know, honestly, not like a ton of heavy hitters. You have Michael Bain as her dad. That's uh, a heavy yeah. hitter. Excuse He's me. like a genre royalty trait. Okay. But I mean. You're going to get hate mail for that. No. You're going to get hate mail from me. I know Michael Bean and I like him. I mean, Terminator, Aliens, The Abyss, you know, big James Cameron nut here. But, you know, like, you tell any Joe Blow on the street, oh, yeah, Michael Bain's in this movie. They're not going to know what that is. Look, if they were a gay who was in any way alive during the 80s, they know. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Look, literally, his shirtless scene in Terminator made me gay. All right. I wasn't alive during the 80s, but it still did. <laughs> I was going to say, what are you talking about, you L.A. baby? <laughs> Wait, what does the L.A. have to do with it? I'm just going to keep bringing it up because you're on the West Coast. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll milk it. Don't worry. We actually are getting all sides. We have the West Coast, we have the East Coast, and then we have me in the center. So you have to be moderate this episode then. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so then we've, of course, got famous celebrity Jay Moore as the, the teacher, Mr. Marliston. I like Jay Moore. And then we also have Gabriel Mann as Brittany Murphy's boyfriend in the movie. And honestly, uh, I know him from ABC's Revenge. Revenge! Revenge! Red marker! Sharpie X. He was also in Dominion, prequel to The Exorcist, as like a kind of twinky priest in 2005. Uh, I saw that. That was that seemed like a very odd, well, both odd and yet not odd role for him. That look, that movie is odd in any way. It's possible to be odd. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're very. It's very forgettable. And he was also in. Um, I don't know if y'all like this movie, but I really like this movie. Uh, he was Kate Winslet's assistant in the life of David Gale. Um, DJ Qualls, who has a very brief role as the nerd, but you know, I like him in the new guy, which is a big uh, part of my childhood. And uh, Jesse Bradford makes a well, cameo. You, you just in skipped this movie. over Road Trip. Excuse me. I've never seen Road Trip. Yeah, Road Trip I've... is. <laughs> I would also stump for Road Trip. 
Yeah, and also DJ Qualls is serving some real Kenny in Terror Train realness at all times, and I appreciate it. No, I mean I love DJ Qualls. Like he's great. But yeah, I just know him from the new guy. Like that's always what I associate him with. Sure, sorry, continue on. Jesse Bradford. Probably more important to talk about it. Anyway. Well, I was gonna say it was a cameo appearance, but honestly, this is before really any major movie that he was in. So would we call it a cameo if he if it was before his fame? It's almost like a debut. Yeah. But yeah, he gets yeah, his, the opening his, kill his scene. Debutante ball. I mean, what a what a way to make an appearance. Should we yeah. just, like, dive into that scene? Oh, I guess I should do the recap. Well, yeah, I mean, like, but yeah, I'm done. So th- take it away, Joe. Okay, so we're going to spoil this movie. Just in case, you know, like, what, 10 episodes in, you haven't figured it out. We're spoiling. Yeah. So here we go. In the small town of Cherry Falls, teens are being brutally killed, and the word virgin is carved into their flesh. Jody Murphy, Brittany Murphy, the daughter of Sheriff Brent Markin, Michael Bean, is pulled into the events after she overhears her father reveal the details of the case to the parents alongside local reporter Timmy, who we have not talked about, who is played by Kiram Maliki Sanchez, who is then immediately killed. Maybe that's why we didn't talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who is immediately killed by the female killer. Jody survives and becomes a minor celebrity. As the news of the killer's interest in virgin spreads, the teen population plans a mass orgy to remove themselves from the hit list. Jody overhears her father talking to the principal, Tom Sizzler, played by Joe Insko, okay. about the killer's similarity to Laura Lee Sherman, a girl who was raped and then disappeared 20 years earlier. After prying details from her drunken mother, who is played by Candy Clark in one of the most unsung roles in this movie, <laughs> we'll talk to her about her later, Jody learns that Tom and her father were perpetrators of the rape and they covered it up and profited off of it. As the orgy begins, Jody and her father are captured by the killer, who is revealed to be English teacher Leonard Marlston, who is played by Jay Moore, and he is her illegitimate half-brother. Her estranged boyfriend, Kenny, Gabriel Mann, rescues Jody from Leonard's sex dungeon basement, but her father dies in the process. Kenny and Jody then race to the party. They're pursued by Leonard, who slices and dices his way through the teens. Jody ultimately uses her self-defense classes to throw Leonard out the window, where he is impaled on a fence post. And finally, he is then shot repeatedly by Deputy Mina, who is played by Amanda Anka, and the town's signature waterfall randomly bleeds red. (laughs) This movie is a hot mess. It is, but its intentions are so... I was going to say pure, but that was really the wrong choice of words. (laughs) No, let's make sexual and virgin puns all episode. (laughs) So there's a lot to unpack in this episode. I mean, you know, we've got your cross-dressing killer. We've got lots of um, issues with teen sex. And then, of course, the the history of just this movie and, like, what happened to it. And the father-daughter incest, which is what I'm here for. Is (laughs) rampant. Rampant in this movie. The scene where they're... He's training her in self-defense and they have a, they have a meet cute where he falls on top of her yes <laughs> yeah literally i was like oh we're into rom-com territory and they're gonna hook up in a couple of scenes how adorable <laughs> or like in scream when deputy dewey and, and gail are walking and they like kind of fall off the road and they land on each other and they kiss and then gail's like what's that over there anyway um it, no it's very similar to that and actually um reading the script there's actually things that were changed that i, I Either are because of budget things or be- to make it less like Scream. Because the scene where um, Marliston is chasing her around the school and she's, you know, getting on all the cabinets and, like, you know, trying to get away, which is a really good chase scene. That is not in the script. Oh. That was done in her house. 
in a scene very reminiscent of Nev Campbell's house attack in Scream. Right. Well, look, th- this movie is pra- it is genuflecting at the altar of Kevin Williamson. Like, oh, yeah. that's so obvious. But it's not, it, it doesn't have, like, as many, it's not as meta-y as Scream, or even, like, the movies, that, the, those Scream copycats that came out after it tried to be. It is, quote-unquote, hip, but it's not very self-referential. That is obviously a reading of Kevin Williamson's work. Like, it's all very meta. It's all very hip and cool. But I also think, like, a really major part of what he put into all of his scripts is that he wrote teens who are exactly as smart as all teens think they are. Yeah. And that's very much a part of Cherry Falls. Like, everyone has, like, a cool slang term to make up that makes no sense. It's very Diablo Cody. Like, I think that part of Kevin Williamson is very alive and well in this movie. It is, but it's... There weren't many times where I was like, Teenagers don't talk like this in this movie. Hyman Holocaust? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> you're right. I mean, the part where the teens swamp the reporter and then start to, like, rip open his clothes. Well, okay. There's a lot of unusual behaviors in this film. If we want to talk about weird dialogue, why don't we just start at the beginning? Oh, boy. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, I'm uh, really hot under the collar already. Oh, Jesse. I'm concerned, like, I worried about his career. Had I not known that he would appear in other movies, I would have worried that we would never see Jesse Bradford again after this. And the weird thing is, so again, the script that I found, it was a first draft. And I think there were a couple more drafts before it, like, you know, was completed. There were probably 12. Well, and I remember, yeah. So the first draft, though, does not have this dialogue. It's actually a little bit more date rapey. So. Oh. Yeah, so the girl Yay. does not want to. The girl does not want to fuck Jesse Bradford, and you know he's like trying to get her, and then she basically leaves, leaves the car, and then she gets killed, and then he comes after her, and then he gets killed. The movie, the final cut of the movie, it's very much just like kids on lovers lane having sex. Well, no, she's still very much like, no, I'm not going to do this, and then she scratches his face strongly enough to draw blood, and then they start to make out. Yes, so. If y'all will allow me, I did take his uh, opening monologue, if you would let me. (laughs) A live reading. Yeah, you have to do it in a really, like, deep, meaningful way. Okay. Uh, I don't know if I'll be able to do that, but we're going to try it out. I'm not an actor. So, okay. This is the lines that open (laughs) Cherry Falls. I traveled secretly across the depths of space, assuming human form, so I'd come to know earthly women and repopulate my desolate planet. I wish for you to know my true name, Xenobulax. Our race makes love just once. We put all our cosmic energy into that one explosive act. And then, like your terrestrial mayfly, we die of a sweet, early content. I want to make love to you in the manner of my people. I want it to be my last act. I can't return home without accomplishing my mission. And then a bunch of loud kissing noises. Stop, stop. I'm going to soak right through my seat. (laughs) I don't even know what this is didn't he say he was from a planet called mamulax too i I don't fucking know something like that i did not catch that i got his name was xenobulax and i thought maybe it was a reference i thought it was a a reference to like star trek but i googled it and that does not pull any results so i think it was an original work of art for this movie okay so what do we make of this opening scene like why why in god's name would anyone open a film with this dialogue I have no answer to that question. Maybe if you're not great at writing a script? <laughs> well, so as a whole, do you think that this script is good? 
it's fine. I think it has some good ideas, but I think it has some major pacing issues. I disagree with that. Okay. I actually okay. don't. This movie is a tight 91 minutes. It's not long. And while there is a significant gap between kills, because you have like the two in the beginning and then you have Annette and then you have Timmy, the goth guy. Mm-hmm. And those are all pretty close together. Yeah, no, I think they're all in the first 30 minutes of the movie. And so you have your second act, which really dials back on the killing and you're in heavy investigation mode, which I guess I get, but it doesn't, it didn't bother me. I mean, like, I guess maybe watching it again, it does, because when you know where the movie's going, it's maybe less exciting because it's just, you know, Jody trying to figure out what's going on, but it didn't bother me. And then, yeah, then you just have the principal getting killed, which, which is nothing. He's such a non-character, too. In the script, he gets his foot cut off and shoved in his mouth. <laughs> Ooh, metaphor. And then his penis gets cut off, too. A, a more a, a stronger metaphor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, I mean, yeah, but, and honestly, there weren't that many differences. I'll stop talking about the script, I promise. But like, there weren't that many differences between it, except for the, the deaths were described much more gorily and i mean there were a couple different lines maybe like a couple characters got more things to say or whatever but for the most part it's pretty true but man this could have been a real fun like gore fest of a movie especially during that orgy scene i was gonna say i mean because like obviously you know for reasons we already talked about like the kill scenes were super cut down Mm -hmm. yeah and this was my first time watching the movie you did pop my cherry so thank you for that i appreciate it you're welcome um but watching it, I didn't feel that delay between kills because the kills didn't feel very special. Yeah. They just, mm. they were kind of window dressing on a movie that was about something else because it couldn't be about gore. So I wasn't missing the kills because the ones that were there weren't really, you know, powerful. They weren't like an experience that was giving me anything. I will say that Annette, though, getting that door slammed on her face, I winced because I forgot oh, yeah, that happened. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then when Jody goes head first into the locker. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, 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 thank you. I think my thing is that there's not enough to sustain my interest during the investigation part. And then because that climactic piece in the orgy house party does feel so clipped and cut down, or maybe just it's pared down from what they were able to deliver on, it feels like that all happens so quickly. Like... We're in sex dungeon basement, and then suddenly we're at the party, and then the party's over, and the movie's done. And so what exactly happened with this orgy scene is because the writer intended to have this be like a... It was described as a sea of white sheets. And so you weren't really going to see a lot of these kids, you know, having sex. It was going to be like just under the sheets and you could hear them making noise. There was a joke where like uh, when Marleston runs in on everyone having sex, like a girl's like, what are you doing? He, he, ah! And she like orgasms as she sees him, <laughs> which obviously did not make it into the movie. <laughs> but the director, uh, Jeffrey Wright, he said, nah, fuck that. And he decided to make everyone totally naked. And he was going to film it almost like a porno. And because that flies with teenagers. Yeah. Well, then, of course, they couldn't do that. So basically, they had to take I don't know if they reshot it or if they had extra footage. But yeah, they just turned on. It's all these kids that are like wearing bras and underwear while they're having sex. So, I mean, it's inherently problematic because we also don't really know any of these people. So their lives are kind of unimportant. And particularly during the chase scene in the end. It's just really unclear a lot of the time what's happening. Part of the, like, I don't think 
Wright is a great director in terms of blocking and staging that. I agree. But, you know, like, literally, there's this one shot of Jay Moore just cutting people, and you can't tell at all what's happening. But it also, like, you never get the impression that people are actually being cut. That's super true. I mean, in that the editing of that sequence is really poor. I was going to say earlier when you were talking about how she used her self-defense classes to, like, you know, knock him out a window. Mm-hmm. I was like, I really think she used the power of poor editing to knock him out the window. <laughs> you don't really see what happens. No. She just kind of, like, steps to the side and all of a sudden he's dead. And I was like, great job, Brittany Murphy. <laughs> you really did anything in this movie. And, you know, it's, it's funny, though, because th- this movie is... Well, there is humor in this movie, but it, it apparently it is not as humorous as intended by the writer. And I guess, you know, Wright uh, try to enhance the scare factor of this a lot. And it, it, there does seem to be a push and a pull between the horror and the comedy that don't always work in the movie, which bear in mind, I like this movie, but the comedy seems a little forced at times. Yeah, I wondered if some of that is actually the tension between the original script and then some of the changes that he made to make it more horrific. So if what we're actually seeing is Selden's script trying to be more comedic and then Wright's direction trying to be scary, but then also MPAA cuts just yeah, coming down the middle. The The original death from Marliston is he slips on a dildo and falls out the window. <laughs> Oh my god, that, that would have been so much better. Oh wait, it gets better. He doesn't get impaled. He falls out the window and he's down there. And they go down and they look at his body and a balcony falls on him. Okay, that's not That better. just sounds expensive. <laughs> <laughs> Who's got money for that? We've only got 14 million. <laughs> but I, I think one thing we need to accept when talking about this movie is that this movie is nobody's vision has been realized in making this movie. Which is really upsetting though. Yeah, but you can't blame any particular person for it. It's just messy yeah yeah it's many people's artistic visions coming together to not form a whole yeah well it's half of everyone's artistic vision just sliced to pieces and it's unfortunate it's really just kind of a victim of bad timing and i don't know i mean apparently like by day four they were already three days behind shooting and it was supposed to be a 30-day shoot um so i loved that factoid i love this idea that they were 30 days over because I can't even imagine what the shooting length on a teenage slasher film would be, but I would have imagined the whole shoot was probably meant to be less than 30 days. Well, and that's why, like, when you, like, I think you had mentioned um, offline, Joe, where you like, why, why is Marliston's house right next door to where this orgy is taking place? And that isn't intentional, but I think that when they had to go back and shoot it, they, and, or like reshoot the ending, it was just like a matter of like, well, we just, we don't have time to do a chase scene because there was supposed to be a chase scene where he like chases Jody and Kenny on their bike from his house to the orgy house. Mm. Yeah, because I don't get a sense of how this town is laid out or what size it is. I was remarking to Trace that it seems like there's so many parents in that gym scene when Michael Bean is telling them about the virginal status of the killed kids. And then you're like, wait, but how big is this town? And then all of these kids haven't had sex. It seems very odd. Look, you know there are a bunch of people who are going to pretend they're virgins so they can get into this party. It's the hot spot tonight. That is something that I wish the movie had played a little bit more of, uh, more with. But just the idea of these parents telling their children to go fuck. 
to go to this party, to go have sex. And they do it a little bit. Like, And I love the scene when Jody's dad has to sit her down and be like, how far have you gone? Like, I think that's... Ugh. And she's like, are you disappointed in me? Yes! <laughs> uh, yes, daughter. I wish that you had gotten fucked right by Kenny. Or me. She calls him daddy for the whole movie, too, which is really... <laughs> It is my dream to call Michael Bean daddy. Like, I'm so jealous of her. Okay, do we think that there are outtakes where there's, like, gentle touching or him, oh like, God. putting a hand on your knee and being like, it's okay, Jody. Flowing show curtains. me, Show me where Kenny touched you. Just take my hand. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I, I mean, so uh, l- l- let's dive into that then. So... Yes, because it's not just the two of them. It's also Kenny and the mom. It's also her and Jay Moore's character. Like, everyone in this movie wants to get down to fucking. Well, I would also even say that between the mom and Jody, there's a bit of sexual tension. <laughs> I, I was too busy appreciating Candy Crane's impersonation of the mom from original Nightmare on Elm Street. Yes, she was so pulling a Marge oh, Thompson. Oh, that's, yes, you're right. That's I was exactly. like, mom's half in the bag all the time. Like, I love it. She's out drinking in her car instead of, like, being at home with her husband because she's like, 27 years ago, he raped this girl. I just can't handle it. I'm a huge drunk. Oh, no. I, I was waiting for her to, like, pull some vodka bottles out of the pillows or, like, out of her nightstand. Like, I, oh, that that's what this movie was missing. More hidden liquids. Yes. I, I love that slashers have a history of women who are closeted alcoholics who are just stashing booze all over their abodes. Like, it fills me with love. It's so important. But also this movie this movie has a lot of Elm Street stuff going on. We've got the gray streak in the hair that the killer is mm-hmm. boasting. Mm-hmm. We've got the whole idea of like the sins of the parents falling on the heads of the kids. There's a yeah. lot of Wes Craven DNA in this. The movie does it, it tries to make, you know, kind of a statement about small towns like, you know, look turning the other way when especially against women during that scene where the mom basically says like what happened you know oh like these four guys raped this girl and jody's like and no one did anything well they were the you know the pillars of the community yeah yeah (laughs) i actually really would like to see this movie get remade maybe from like whatever version of the script was supposed to get done because i think it could work really well today oh yeah and especially with the idea of like virginity as a construct and people being like well i've done oral sex does that count do i have to worry about this is the killer gonna get me like there's a lot of interesting stuff they ignore i also had that question during this movie oh yeah (laughs) because no no one ever pauses to be like wait how do people know if i am or am not a virgin it's just like somebody going around checking all the bathroom stalls like oh yeah hmm, kenny Hmm." well now he's on the list are they they checking the rings on his dick like how what how how can you tell i don't know brennan how can you tell <laughs> yeah, as as your special like medical guest, I would like to say, no. Oh, what? <laughs> Welcome back to Doctor Brennan's sex talk. How do you know if you're still a virgin? Well, but I think that as a teacher, he paid attention to what these kids were saying. Okay, go on. He's trying to get them to open up. That's why he tells Michael Bean to be like, "You should tell the kids because then." Anybody who flips the fuck out, I'm going to be like, yeah, yeah. Even though he's really just only after Jody. <laughs> Let's be honest. Is that why he sits in his office at all hours of the night to catch kids fucking? Yes. Well, or he's in his car, like following kids around with that wig. Okay, but does he masturbate while he wears the wig? Mm, okay. 
<laughs> I have questions about him and this cross-dressing thing that he's got going on. Okay, Did- as the expert, I have answers, so hit me. Okay, so is he just wearing it as a costume? Is that all it is? Does he think he's his mother? Is he, like, being his mother? Or is he just, like, because his mother abused him as a child constantly, is he just so kind of fucked in the head that he... I, mean, I don't know. Like, what, what What is it? The answer is that screenwriter Ken Seldon watched Psycho once. <laughs> <laughs> or, or Dress to Kill, even. But, I mean, like... But here's, I think, the the big thing, and in all seriousness, I think it's really important to, and feel free to disagree with me, I don't think that he's deriving any kind of sexual pleasure from this. I think, and that's what makes it different. I think this is like drag vigilante cosplay of mom. That makes sense. Like, it's it's kind of like, if you watch the Scream TV series, it's kind of like kind like revenge for this town's crime. And the crime was sex-related, and that's kind of like why it's tied into this. But he is not like personally really upset by the sex specifically. His revenge has much like more simple motives. Yeah, he's got daddy and uh, illegitimate sibling issues. There is a line, and I don't remember hearing it in the movie, but it was in the script. And I was like, oh, I wish they would have kept that in. And he basically like when he is explaining his motive, he's like, by having your kids do all this, I'm raping this town just like y'all raped my mother. Oh, dear. That's rough. It is rough, but it it kind of hits hard. And because I think in the movie, he just says, um, like, all your precious children are losing their innocence or something. Mm-hmm. And that's like, all right, cool. But no, it's, it's also kind of like, because when he, he kills the first two kids and he kills Annette and then he kills Timmy, that's the end of the virgin killing in this movie. Timmy. And it's kind of dropped off like the copycat plot in Scream 2. Yeah. Yeah. R.I.P. copycat plot. Yeah. (laughs) Which was probably also in Kevin Williamson's original script before it got leaked. (laughs) Exactly. But anyway, so do we find this character problematic? I don't because I don't think it has any of the issues that we would typically associate with this kind of killer. I mean, there's obviously... If you're coming at it from like a very 2019 progressive standpoint, a lot of the ideas about virginity are inaccurate and kind of enforce that heteronormative idea of what losing your virginity is and the idea that it's one specific thing and it's related to having a hymen or like that kind of stuff. Like all of that is completely inaccurate. And I think a lot more people would know that now. Which is why a remake would be fascinating because you know that they would have to deal with bi kids and gay kids and all of these other issues. And it'd be like, shit, do these like two gay kids have to hook up even though they maybe don't like each other because they ain't done butt stuff. And, well, Brennan, Blumhouse could make this movie for $5 million and make it great. Like... (laughs) Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll walk right into Blum's office, hand him the script. We're good. We're golden. I'm, I'm just going to print off that first draft of the script that I found, and uh, you can just hand that to him. Uh, how about we make a better version, though? <laughs> oh, if you're going to do that, I've also got a script. Can I just send that to you? Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll read it, and I'll send you my thoughts, and my thoughts will be, loved it. <laughs> <laughs> loved it. Love you. Oh, what's that sound? Is that the paper shredder? Oh, God. <laughs> but I, I do say, because... Do you think it's problematic, Trace? Um, I don't, but because I, I, it doesn't seem like he, I think the movie sympathizes with him. I think it does right up to the point where he goes homicidal. Right. But then, because I don't think the movie thinks he's a joke, but he does some really funny shit in his little sex dungeon. 
specifically, I love it when he's making the dad recount the story and he's like putting on his eye. Uh, his his mascara and the oh, dad yeah. the dad's like well you know what happened and he goes oh yeah but i forgot can you keep going and telling the story <laughs> it's <was> pretty savage <laughs> and meanwhile Brittany murphy is just like daddy, daddy, daddy. <laughs> she she scream cries through 90 percent of this movie she does well that's what, okay so i do think Brittany murphy's good in this movie but earlier when you were like she's fantastic i'm like i mean she's good but like they don't Give her a lot of material to work with outside of her being upset. That scene of her kicking her boyfriend in the face while demanding he bite on her toes, though, should have been in her Oscar reel. Oh, my gosh. That one was great. It it went on and on <laughs> and on. I mean, I don't remember that being in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I completely forgot about that part. I was like, oh, look at her. She's asserting herself. She's she's really becoming a sexually empowered woman as a result of these events. Oh, wow. Okay, she's kicking him in the face and telling him to suck on her toes. This scene guest scripted by Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> oh, yeah, dude. And she's like, harder, harder, but bite it harder, harder. And it just goes on. I'm like, girl. Do you think she thinks that's what sex is? She is a virgin and she is from like, you know, a culture that probably wouldn't have a great sex ed program. And, you know, all she has is her dad just kind of leering at her. And she's like, I guess this is sex. Let's just do it. She's like, well, you're not my dad. So it probably isn't what sex is meant to be. But I guess (laughs) good stuff. It's I mean, there's a lot of things in this movie where it's just like even Mr. Marliston, when he's he's in the class in the beginning, and he, like, gags that boy in the middle of the class. Yeah, with his own scarf. That I oh, was yeah. like, I don't think a teacher can just do that. Even oh, in 1999. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> but there's, like, something... I mean, it's hard not to read into the sex stuff in this film. Like, it feels so overt that I just couldn't help it. Like, my notes are just filled with, are these people fucking? Do these people want to fuck? What is going on here? Sex, question mark? Like, the film is rife with it. I do think Jay Moore and the mom wanting to fuck is canon. Like, that, th- those bedroom eyes that they were getting was, I, I was feeling it. I was, I was heating up. With anyway, um... <laughs> there's like a lot of dead air after one of us makes a declarative statement. We're like, uh huh. <laughs> I think we're all just a little bit shell shocked. I mean, really, what what do you say after one of these things? The 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 drag killer, um, I think inherently is obviously mildly problematic, but a lot less problematic than a lot of other drag killers are, including yeah. Psycho or Dressed to Kill, as you said, and um, or even like the weird slasher parody Pandemonium that nobody saw. Don't. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> Okay. <laughs> it, but, but Tab Hunter's the killer. Spoiler alert. So Aww. into that. Um, but anyway, so I, like, I, I don't think th- this killer is driven by gender at all. He is driven by like you know sex in a way and by his mother but it's he's not like he doesn't have any sort of dysphoric tendencies he just has an awesome outfit that he wants to rock because look come on your mom's got his mom is basically like your cool aunt she's like kind of got like a leather and straps thing going on that's very (laughs) rocker chic yeah the cool gray streak in her hair and once you take off half the pieces like you did like you look like you're just a fan of metallica and like that's still a good look so why not rock it well, I mean, yeah, this isn't like a this isn't a trans situation. This is just pure 
cross-dressing. Yeah, and it's mostly in service of a twist ending. It's less of a, the killer's psychology. Which, I, I have a question for you, Brennan. Did you predict the killer's identity? I did not predict his specific Id- identity, but from square one, I was like, that's a dude in drag. <laughs> it's interesting because I think the... Okay, so I I riffed on Wright's directing style in the climax, but I do want to revisit the school chasing because I think that that is actually particularly well shot in managing to keep the identity of the killer hidden, but also giving you enough to be like, dude, no dress. I don't. Know. I mean, I I did love the fact that the hair or the 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 uh, the the beautiful wig was acting as a mask because it was falling in front of the face like a real Samara from the wing yeah. from the ring situation. <laughs> yes. But then, I, but I, then I was like, well, how is he? How can he see? I I, I mean, that, that's true of any slasher killer. I know. How can Michael Myers see through those tiny tiny eye holes? Well, no, but th- those those are eyes. I mean, like it's this is different. This this is different. This is a okay. this is a wig. <laughs> this is a very bad wig. Okay, so Trace needs to do drag so that he can see that you can see through hair. Yeah, or like if you if you know if you put a like a kind of sheer pillowcase over your head, which no reason, never done that. Um, you can see through it still, just not like with perfect clarity. Right. But- Okay, so transparent sheet over the head and then foot across the face and... Mm-hmm. And just bite as hard as you can. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> but it, I, I agree with you, Joe. I do think that that, that chase scene is very well done, and it's it's long. I'm actually... Because, you know, us horror fans, we really like, get our rocks off to a good chase scene. You know, I mean, how many times do you, do you hear people bring up Sarah Michelle Gellar's scene, and I, I know what you did last summer. I'm actually surprised that this one isn't mentioned more, because it... And maybe it's because she doesn't die at the end, but like it's a really good chase scene through the school, so which is a different setting. I feel like no, you're right. It it, it is a good chase scene, and like what you were saying with horror fans getting their rocks off or whatever that disgusting thing you were saying. Um, I <laughs> okay. <laughs> sorry, I'm I'm punchy tonight. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> Who's been drinking? No, I actually I'm a teetotaler. I'm just this is my natural drunk aura. <laughs> oh my god. No, but I'm personally not a huge fan of chase scenes because I'm like, I get it. You're running. Move on. But this scene I was engaged with. I enjoyed it a lot. I like it because she does a very human thing. Like, I know it's it's a comedic thing that Scream popularized by saying, you know, don't run up the stairs, go out the front mm-hmm. door. But I really like the fact that she climbs on tables and she climbs up on cabinets because if somebody is coming at you with a fucking knife and you see a surface that could potentially elevate you and get you away from that person, I think it's a logical reaction. And then you get this great visual of her just being like, fetus in a jar, like plant-based specimen, like knocking him over with a giant shark. Oh, I loved that. That is that is camp perfection, right? Well, and that's there are moments like that all throughout this movie, and I think because Wright just didn't want didn't want to like maybe didn't know maybe didn't understand the comedy aspect of it, but even like oh oh what about when <laughs> when Kenny knocks on the door of Mister Marleston and he's like, why are you wearing lipstick? Because it makes me look pretty. That was great. Or how he nonchalantly tells her that her dad is in that trunk. Yeah. And she's like, oh. And he's like, no, but really. <laughs> and then she's like, hey, daddy. Hey, daddy. Um, but yeah, I mean, no. Like, 
I guess I ran away from the chase scene for a bit. But no, that, that I love that scene. And the, the jumping, the flying of the shark is very good. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a super special thing. And it, it's, it's, it's very out of scary movie, but <laughs> I enjoyed it. That is, which is why I can't believe then that you wouldn't go, well, we already did a shark thing. Why not do a dildo off the balcony thing? <laughs> well, actually, my question is, though, why is anyone going to bring a dildo to an orgy? That I was thinking that, too. But, you know, people sometimes need other stimulation. So, like, true. get it where you can. Yeah. And also, again, people who aren't super well-educated are like, you need one of these, right? And yet there was no lube and no condom. Oh, I'm so sorry to do this again, but there is a scene in the script <laughs> where the drugstore is Everybody overf- take a drink. Is overflooded <laughs> with uh, teenage boys buying condoms. Uh, see, that would have been another good scene. No, there's a lot of little details. Um, the best friend who has a crush on the stoner boy has a lot more scenes. Not a lot more, but a couple more scenes. Do they justify why she has a crush on his gross ass? He he has more dialogue in the script. Um, he's not as they reference him as a stoner, but he's not. He doesn't look like he's actually mentally incapacitated all the time. And there's there is a scene where her her dad basically comes up to her and goes, "I know about the party. Go," <laughs> and he gives her a condom. <laughs> Jesus. So, I mean, you know, there's a lot of things that they could have played with that just got, didn't make it. I mean, some of them, they weren't even cut. Some of them, they just couldn't film because they were, you know, a week behind schedule starting on day four. They're like, all right, we don't have a lot of time to prep this scene. So, uh, we don't have hair and makeup. Take this giant bottle of gel, just throw it onto Brittany Murphy's (laughs) hair and Gabriel Mann's hair and then give her the Matrix trench coat and let's just shoot it because we're losing daylight. Yeah, we forgot to get props, so we're going to have a glass of water with your cookies because we couldn't buy milk. Come on. (laughs) There's a lot of fun character beats in this movie. Does this feel like a TV movie to you guys or do you feel like this the version as is could have played in a theater? I think it could have played on the shelves of Blockbuster. (laughs) Direct to video. Yeah, this... This lacks a certain amount of polish and finesse that I think is one of the reasons why it doesn't often get talked about. Like when you mention Cherry Falls to people, they say, oh, it's the virgin killer movie with the transvestite killer. And you're like, okay, well, we don't say that word anymore. And it's a bit more than that. And... Yeah, no, no, you're right. like, it, it, it's not the kind of like slick horror movie that we were seeing in theaters at the time. And that's totally fine. But it, it, it feels more kind of like a gritty like if it was in the 80s i guess videotapes were still around when it came out yes 100 um yeah, yeah like it's it's a video store find that you would like pass around at your college campus or something it doesn't feel like something that people would have really flocked to see in theaters it would not have debuted at number one shall we say no no which no. is funny though because it really is aping a bunch of successful models like this movie it has scream and urban legend and it you know, there's a touch of I know what you did last summer. Like it's really, but, I think, drawing inspiration from those classics of the late '90s, but it's just not hitting it in the same. I guess for me though, and this is also because I just like watched Valentine. But if a movie like Valentine can make it a thing, because Valentine's not a good movie, and it, it's Wolf. it's bad. I like Valentine, but I like, mean, it's fun. It's but fine. It's not it's, good. It, yeah, no, yeah. I mean, like it's an enjoyably fun movie, but it's not good. And I w- I think that this Cherry Falls is a better made movie than Valentine is. But I think it looks cheaper. 
it's it, a more enjoyable movie than Valentine. Yeah, but yeah, what a low bar. <laughs> well, but you know, Valentine and Urban Legend share the same director. Yes, and I re- I think Urban Legend's really good, and so I'm actually surprised that that had such a downfall. But we're not talking about those movies. I'm just saying, uh, the, I I just think Cherry Falls is better than Valentine. So I'm like, oh, like if Valentine can get a fucking theatrical release, then why can't Cherry Falls? I mean, obviously, I know why it can't, but I don't know. I, I think this is one of those movies that does benefit from or i mean not not financially or for its filmmakers but it benefits <laughs> from being a little more obscure because you can kind of dig it up and unearth it and that kind of gives it this special quality that mm-hmm. if it was you know pitted against these bigger like wide release movies it would be maybe even more dismissed because people would be like i mean it would occupy the valentine space of like oh yeah this also came out in 2000 nobody cares yeah, yeah. that's true because it was such a glut then. Yeah, but people kind of in our capacity now are kind of rediscovering it or kind of digging it up. And it, it kind of it feels special in a way because it's something from that time and very much operating in the tropes of that time that wasn't huge and a lot of people didn't get to see. So you kind of get to feel like you're on an adventure and finding a movie that is worth your time, but probably wouldn't have been as lauded if it was in theaters. I agree with that, actually. I think you're right. I do want to bring up something that kind of bothered me. I mean, because we do, we find out later in the film that the killer is like, you know, carving into people like virgin, all this stuff. Yeah. But at first where they're like, two people died, they were both virgins. And they were like, a third person died that was also a virgin, probably, we guess. And suddenly the sheriff is like, the killer's killing virgins. And look, that is not a statistically st- significant number by which to judge that. Correlation does not imply causation. <laughs> If three teenagers die, there, it's a statistical likelihood that they'll all happen to be virgins. It doesn't mean the killer is specifically targeting virgins. I mean, it turns out that he was. But, but he's carving but, the word virgin into their stomachs and foreheads. See, I didn't see that for a minute because they cut a lot of stuff out of this movie. Okay, well, just so you know, <laughs> he was carving the word virgin. So that probably was a red light for the police department. Okay, but when he kills the principal, he carves virgin not into his forehead, which I also have problems oh, with. Oh, I did too. That, that was real grammatically incorrect. But he killed him because he was a rapist. Yes, but also maybe he was just categorizing whether or not his victims were virgins, you know? But he was just kind <laughs> of like... <laughs> so he was just killing random people, and then he would either carve virgin or virgin not based on what they were. I'm just saying these people need to take a stats class. <laughs> I think that it was actually just part of his master plan that he was doing it to defile as many teens as he possibly could. I don't think he actually cared who he was killing. He just happened to be going after some easy victims. Well, they also remember because there were four people that raped Laura Lee Sherman and the mom said that two of them skipped town like after some point. So... Is he not going after them, too? Oh, see, in a better movie, you would have had him killing, like, the kids of the other rapists. This is actually the third film in the Cherry Falls trilogy, and the first two are about the killer going after those other guys. Mm -hmm. One's in Texas, and the other one's in Guadalajara. No, the other one's in Toronto. (laughs) I actually did have a question, though, because do, do we know how long Marliston was teaching at this school for? Like, has he been there all the time or is he a new teacher? Like, what what was this? Yeah, there's no anniversary that's setting him off. He's just like, you know what? It's spring and I'm really feeling the juices like, 
hey, there's kids over there. I should just kill them. He just watched Tidying Up with Marie Kondo, and he's like, these kids are no longer sparking joy in me. <laughs> well, that just aged this episode. <laughs> no, Marie Kondo is eternal. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Joe, I think you also mentioned how you know, oh, like uh, he's Brittany Murphy's half sister or half brother, but we don't know that for a fact. Uh, yeah, we do because he has the same eye color as Michael Bean, which totally implies hereditary causation. Yes, <laughs> I actually did. Oh, oh, what did y'all think of that rape scene? That that's a that's a question. Mm-hmm. Um, like it, it, bad. Well, <laughs> so. The the rape scene flashback is one of the only things that the director added to the movie. It was not in the screenplay. Oh, good. Thank you know, you, I'm Jeffrey Wright. Yeah, I'm always looking like, hey, where can we get just a touch more female rape into my movies? I was actually, I mean, obviously, it is a disturbing scene, but I was most disturbed by when the guys grab the younger Michael Bane character. Yeah. And basically, like, use him like a rag doll and, like, mm-hmm. puppeteer him raping her. That was really, like, I, w- I was kind of like, oh. I do appreciate the fact, though, that he doesn't try to say, like, you know, oh, well, I didn't actually do it. They did it. He's like, I was drunk. But I knew I what I was doing. And I didn't, yeah. Like, I like the fact that the movie actually makes him take credit for that. Yeah, and, and the movie's a little prescient in that regard, too. It does talk about he knew what he was doing, but everyone kind of conspired to cover it up, and they just kind of tried to brush it under the rug, and those people became pillars of the society, like maybe joining the Supreme Court, um, <laughs> things like that. But I will say specifically about that rape scene. Obviously, no rape scene is a very fun watch. No, no, no. But I think this movie did do... If there's a right way to do a rape scene, I think they did do it right in that they weren't sexualizing the rape. There are a lot of, especially 80s slasher movies, where the rape is there as just another sex scene, mm-hmm. um, where it's meant to titillate in a way. And this movie, this scene is not meant to do that. This scene is horrifying, and it's meant to be. Yeah, yeah it's not gratuitous. Well, and I also love, because doesn't she call them gay or something right before they start to go after her? Yeah, she calls one of them I queer. Think- or homo? Homo. Yeah. Wokeness is a journey for everyone. But no, but I mean, it's like this gay panic of like, we're going to show you we're not gay. And then, you know, they rape her. Oh, yeah. So so you're saying it's her fault. No, <laughs> not saying it's her fault. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying the movie's trying to probably make a commentary on like this gay panic aspect and like, you know, how men just, I, like, I don't know, that, that's problematic in like, you know, today's or like 1999's. male society that they're so worried about being perceived as gay that they'll resort to rape to prove that they're not Hmm. i think that i'm going to respectfully disagree with that reading because i think that was an insult that was very commonly thrown around in the late 90s so i don't think they really thought about it but if that was the intention then good job so i just looked it up she calls tom the principal a homo okay i mean the movie does have some not of it it's not unusual for its time, but it does have some anti-gay rhetoric. So there's butt pirate. There's butt pirate at the orgy. Um, Look, I identify as a butt pirate. I'm good with that. <laughs> yes, but do you have an eye patch and a parrot? Yes. Okay. It's a podcast. Nobody can see this. Okay. <laughs> no, you can't confirm. We can't even see it. So <laughs> I-, I thought you were going to go into a list of other like homosexual slurs that were in the movie. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I mean, I some of these are more of my own observation. 
where I'm like, oh, Ben, the kid from class who gets gagged by Jay Moore. I'm like, oh, he's super gay, right? <laughs> and did, for a minute, when um, the the two nerds, DJ mm-hmm. Qualls and the other one, they were kind of walking together in the party. Did you also think they were going to go off together I for half a second? I did not, but I did think that Timmy was gay. Oh, yeah, obviously. Oh, the, the kind of gossip rag guy? That's so stereotypical. I've seen that actor in a number of other films, and he's pretty much typecast as the prissy gay. What did we think of the character of Kenny? Because I have difficulties with Gabriel Mann's somewhat effeminacy, and maybe that's just a holdover from the character that he plays in Revenge. Oh, right, because he, he's bisexual in Revenge. But I didn't find a lot of effeminate... I, honestly, my big issue with his character was that... So his introduction is he breaks up with her because she won't put out because they've been dating for a year. And then he can't get it up when she slaps him in the face with her foot. Right. No, because he's like, I want it to be... Like, I don't want you I want you to do this because like you're trying to get back at your dad. I want you to want me for me. And I was like, well, hold up. Because that's not really the vibe that I got in their first scene together. Yeah, no. It, like his He pulls a 180. And also, she's not trying to get back at her dad. She's just trying to sleep with her dad. Duh. <laughs> yeah, she's... Yeah, she's totally going to call out daddy in the middle, and he's just going to have to go with it. Mm-mm-mm. He's like, ooh, boner killer, but I guess I'm going to push through. But then he's like with that other hot chick, and he's like, mm, no, I'm still limp dick. I think I'm going to go back to Jody and see what, you know, Leonard's got in the box in the sex dungeon basement. It was really weird. I mean, honestly, I kind of think they could have gotten rid of that character in his entirety and just like had her be the single Just have gal. her be solo. Be like, oh god, she's in mortal danger because she ain't got a boyfriend and she got that Trinity from Matrix look going on, which is not attracting the boys. I was going to say uh, Aeon Flux. Oh, um, yeah, I can see that. That'll work too, yeah. Yeah, no, her her hair is an architectural masterwork. Mm-hmm. And yes. she's always on the verge of tears, constantly. She's crying, but she has to stay away from any open flames because she could just go up at any minute. <laughs> I do have a fun piece of trivia that I've only seen in this one place, so I don't know whether or not it's really true, but apparently Stephen Lang was originally offered uh, Michael Bean's role, and I think that would be a very different movie. Um. So Stephen Lang is the, yeah, is the I, blind guy from... Uh, what is don't it? Breathe. Don't Breathe. Yeah, I yeah, know. I... Oh, yeah, yeah. I was confusing him with Stephen Root. Who was the <laughs> oh, that, Jesus, that is a whole... That's a very different movie. movie. Ew, daddy no (laughs) yeah that that would have been a very different movie but i it i don't think the sexual chemistry would have been there which would be a major loss for the movie that's like basically the theme of the movie what did y'all think of when he runs into the orgy and he just goes class dismissed groaner this is it is late period freddy of like this could be a pun yeah we kind of briefly hopped and skipped through the orgy scene but i did really enjoy even though it was you know cut to pieces the scenes of just like naked teens trapped on the stairwell wait was this the like the winchester mystery house why couldn't they get down the stairwell well because deputy mina was basically clocked down (laughs) on the landing there Mm -hmm. and i mean that so having seen Creature Feature Masterpiece, The Relic, which also features Ooh. a great scene where people basically get trampled and are unable to progress forward. It's much gorier in that movie, too. Oh, that movie is so good. It's good. Um, but I did enjoy this scene. I felt like this was actually a piece where 
I was like, okay, let's learn how to edit and shoot a scene 101 because we cut to so many shots of that staircase just kind of slowly moving. And I was like, like, does someone think that this is like, hey, this, this escape scene kind of looks like a sex scene where they're all just like jammed in together and slowly pulsating i I did like the bottlenecking of the stairwell though i I would have liked it more had it had more repercussions once it actually like broke apart but and the way he shoots it he does a lot of wide shot like wide shots that make it look goofier than i think he's intending it to be specifically it's such a goofy scene there's like piles of naked teenagers spilling out of a stairwell that can't not be funny well and even like though like when marlison's like running around like kind of like hop skip and jumping over the bodies like it looks so also because he's in that wig (laughs) and his little dress and then there's the couple that just stays behind and hides under a blanket it's a funny scene oh yeah yeah I just don't know if he was really trying to make it that funny. <laughs> I, I feel like that scene was because, you know, like this scene did have the scraps of Kevin Williamson. And I think that, you know, cherry popping ball was very much the <laughs> centerpiece of the humor of the movie. Yeah. Well, how about those uh, those animated cherries porking each other on that <laughs> invitation? Oh, my God. <laughs> I was happy with that graphic design. I feel like <laughs> if someone had submitted that for a high school project, they probably would have gotten a decent grade on it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also if somebody submitted this movie as a high school project a plus oh shit 100 percent though as a proper feature c plus b minus yeah i i would go the b minus route admittedly i was actually when i first watched this movie i was a four out of five and it downgraded to a three and a half when i watched this but b minus is good yeah, no, I'm I'm at three and a half, and this is my first time, so we'll see how I progress. Yeah, I think I'm <laughs> solidly three. I was somewhere between a three and a three and a half, and on the rewatch, I was like, mm, there's just there's a few too many problems. Had it leaned into the camp more, it would definitely be higher for me. I think I'm giving it the benefit of the doubt, though, because of knowing everything that happened, the fact that it at least turned out semi okay, it works for me. Yeah, and the uh, the deputy lady shoots the killer with double guns like she's KM and Jason X, so that's pretty cool. Oh, man. I love that you did a KM reference. I'm full of them, baby. <laughs> that will not get you any Patrick Hamilton love, though, for sure. No, look, I do not like that movie. I do. <laughs> Fuck you. I love Jason X. I... We're, this is not a Jason X podcast, but I find it, it could be. Ooh, incredibly pacey. <laughs> <laughs> Just call it Dawson Leary's friend because it's pacey. Oh, oh class dismissed. <laughs> okay, do we think that Deputy Sheriff Mina is a lesbian or does she want to jump on Michael Bean's pole? His bean pole. <laughs> I didn't put any thought into that because she's such a non-entity that when she does get the killing blow, I was kind of like, oh. Yeah, like, why isn't this Brittany Murphy's purview? Yeah, because she's a not like, she's almost a non-character, but she spends the entire last act, I fucking Jody. Like, yeah. she's following her around, and it's like, who's that? Your, your FBI protector? And meanwhile, she's, like, over there smoking a cigarette and, like, making, like, a lesbian lick motion, practically. <laughs> Also like Scream 2 when she has the Very, yeah. The death of Marliston is a big issue with this movie because he, it, it's not a great death. Also, they don't show his death, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's perfunctory. 
Yeah, it's something. Yeah, like we've got to dispatch the killer in some way. Let's have him penetra- get penetrated. And of course, it's by a picket fence, which is, of course, the height of suburban domesticity. That's exactly what they were thinking. We're really trying to give this movie a lot more credit for its intelligence. Hey, man, I'm trying to bump up from that three, and you guys are cherry busting. So, <laughs> cherry well, okay. busting. Maybe this will help you bump up from the three. The credits run upside down. Which I'm sure has a really important meaning. Can't quite crack it, but it's interesting. <laughs> it's because it's trying to reverse the movie's virginity because you can't, once you lose your virginity, you can't unlose it. Oh, yeah, because we're, we're reversing the paradigm because usually the virgins survive the movie. Yes, exactly. So in that case, shouldn't the red waterfall be going backwards, like in a bit more of a David Lynchian fashion? No, 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 because the credits haven't started yet. It starts when the credits roll. Exactly. <laughs> Either that or or the credits were created over in Europe for a European release, and that's how they do them in former Yugoslavia. <laughs> okay, so um, how do we feel about a game? I love games. Okay. I know that you guys like games. Okay, so oh, I have two games one is very simple i mean this is going to be super easy for brennan because i already know the answer it's if you could pop your cherry with any of the characters in this film who would you pick (laughs) oh yeah i've been very vocal about this (laughs) (laughs) i was like well this game is going to take five seconds for brennan it's a daddy i would climb that beanpole um (laughs) i mean i <laughs> Daddy! Not, not, look, he can still get it in this movie, but like the ghost of a young Michael Bean would be the reason I was doing it. Do you use the phrase bean pole mid coitus? No, only if it's with Michael Bean. <laughs> well, wearing a transparent sheet. Look, I have bespoke nicknames. Okay, okay. And Trace? Mine would be Mark the Stoner, not because of his his intelligence level, but because he's the cutest one. He does have those nice, like, dusky eyelids. Like, He's got yes. that Jay Hernandez from Hostel yes. vibe to him. Yes. To which I was like, wait, is that Jay Hernandez? And then I was like, no. The no, it, that's, it's, no. it's rude to, 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 to Jay Hernandez, my movie star boyfriend. But continue. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, but totally Mark. I think like, the whole time I was like, oh, Mark, your mouth's just hanging open. <laughs> you can put it to better use? <laughs> Yeah, I guess. Whereas I would have picked that guy from the back seat of their van where he's like, hey, maybe we can find a serial killer who targets girls who don't give head. As if that's better. <laughs> oh, okay. We don't, we don't have to talk about it, really. But that, that scene where the girl is tutoring all the other girls on how to have sex. <laughs> that's an all-time classic. That is the a movie scene. needed more of that. I love it. And then like, it cuts to the guys and they're like, are there three holes? <laughs> yeah. It's so good. Yeah, but yeah, it needed more of that. Yeah, no. But yeah, who after like after a, a like a de-virginizing like penetrative sex killer? Why are we going back to oral sex? Is my question. <laughs> oh no! <Yeah. laughs> why is that the dream? I mean, if they're teenagers. See, if this had been Look, written I by mean, Diablo Cody, it would have been like, "How about girls who don't do anal?" Oh well, yeah. I mean that he's yeah. gonna start carving no I mean, anal on their on their bellies. <laughs> you know what? Maybe. God. Oh, I would love that. <laughs> but um, maybe he's just too nervous to go all the way, and he just wants to like 
like dip his toes in the water. He's like, I don't want all this pressure. Like, let's have a killer that scales it back a little bit. I'm also just kind of concerned about the fact that all these kids were okay having sex on the floor, like next to each other. Yeah, they didn't. Uh, they could have gone to their own damn houses. They, yeah, like they, there was no need to have a party. They could have just done it in their bedrooms. Like, let's face it, the town of Cherry Falls is freaky. I mean, it's something. Look, I yeah. Small towns, their biggest exports are usually like almond milk and teen pregnancies. Like, there's nothing else to do. Oh, don't forget pharmaceutical drugs. That oh too. My God. Oh wait, is this only a Canadian thing? <laughs> Not where I'm from. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Game number two. Do you have a second game? Game number two is if you could do the remake of Cherry Falls, how would you improve this film? I mean, we've already kind of talked about that. I mean, I I would have a lot more stuff to say. Well, first of all, the orgy would be like a much bigger set piece. It would be like yeah. 50 to 70 percent of the movie well no it's it's like in scream you know like the last 50 minutes of this hour and 50 minute movie is the party so you make the last yes. 15 minutes of this movie a sex orgy so wait we're we're basically saying that we want the movie climax only with more murder <laughs> yeah yes yes exactly you pump up those kind of funny social commentary elements just on like the value of virginity um you keep it gory you make it gory you add a couple more deaths you lean into the camp factor a little bit more maybe not too heavily because i might turn people off but like you really play into those funny moments yeah and continue to cast michael bean but use that marvel technology to make him look like he did in the fan do we keep the drag mom vigilanteism yes even in 2019 yeah brennan i think i'm over it like i think i'm over the idea of a man in drag being the killer in general like whether or not it like I, whether or not there could even potentially be a way to not make it problematic which i think there possibly could be if the right person was writing it also hire women to make this movie first of all yeah and i don't know i just I, i'm sick of that as a twist it's really obvious there are really only a couple twists in these kind of movies. It's either they were dead the whole time or someone's cross-dressing. It's, it's not exciting. No, so here's a way you can do it. And I know that it would, this would never happen. But you don't make it a twist. You make maybe the identity of the killer kind of known earlier on. Because honestly, what I kind of wanted to... I know they have the scene where Michael Bean goes to the house. Um, you know, that's an hour outside of town. And it... He sees how Laura Lee Sherman was living and blah, blah, blah. It's like a derelict house. That is a subplot. It is. (laughs) But I I did want to know more about Marliston. And I think they could maybe do that. I don't know how you could do it. But like, yeah, you just don't make it the twist. Because I think the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, though, isn't it? It's called it's called Rob Zombie's Halloween. Yeah. Oh, God. But I want 40 minutes of a young Marliston. Oh, God. <laughs> or you maybe make Laura Lee the killer. Make her not be dead. Make Like, she's still alive. And she is bad. I mean, look, if there was a sequel, it would be revealed that she is not dead. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Because is there even any closure on that? Is it just like, she's dead? No, I, I don't think they ever mentioned that she was dead. Well, I think... It, in the script, there's oh, a grave. Take uh, a drink. Uh, script did not get produced. So. <laughs> there, there's a graveyard near that house, and there's a caretaker that says, oh, she's in the backyard, and he goes, and it's her grave. 
Do they run by the grave when they're running from his sex dungeon basement over to the school? <laughs> no, 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 no. It, it's the derelict house's backyard, not Marlison's backyard. Ugh, derelict my balls. I know. I mean, yeah, again, they just couldn't film the scene. They ran out of time. They were already 29 days over. They had to wrap this fucking movie. Yeah, it was the first week, and they were 29 days over. <laughs> <laughs> to be a fly on the wall, I would love to know. I mean, apparently, it was Jeffrey Wright and the cinematographer, Anthony B. Richmond. Like, the cinematographer apparently left the shoot for two days because he couldn't deal with the director and just, like, left. And they couldn't shoot anything. Wasn't it something about too much blood? Yes. He thought he was using too much blood in one scene, and I guess it was ruining his shot. And Jeffrey Wright wouldn't acquiesce. And so he just left. <laughs> But like, what scene are they even talking about? Because this movie, I mean... It is, but they, they shot blood. They just cut it out. They just cut it out. Oh, jeez. Yeah. I would like to see more theatrical death scenes like Annette's. Because that set piece is kind of cool, even though we only see it for a hot second. Yeah, it's really quick. Is that the one who gets, like, nailed to a ceiling fan? Yeah, man. Yes. Yeah, that that was intense. That's one of the things I remembered most vividly when I first watched this film. So I was like, yeah, it's got all the virgin stuff, and it's got the drag killer. But I remembered that shot as being like, whoa, this movie's got a lot. But then I also realized I confused this movie with detention. Really? Because of the, the big kill scene... I think it opens detention where the girl like gets thrown out of her <laughs> yeah <laughs> out of her room. I thought that that's actually what happens to Annette. Well, and actually going back to your little fan thing, it's interesting how Scream 4 also did the exact same thing with a corpse tied to a fan, but that part was cut out of that movie too. Trace knows all the things that gets cut out of movies. <laughs> Scream 4, it was a publicity image and it wasn't in the movie, so that's why I know about that. But I also have seen okay. every single bonus feature on that DVD. We we frequently lament the films that we will never get to see. And why are so many of them Wes Craven films? Yeah, that really sucks. So, so I think that's Cherry Falls. Yeah. That would seem to be. So, Mr. Brennan, how can people get a hold of you on the interwebs? <laughs> Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at It's Raining Brens, and you can also find my two podcasts there at Scream 101 Pod and Queer Wolf Pod. Speaking of Scream 101, as of the release date of this episode, we're going to be like smack dab in the middle of a little bonus thing we're doing where we're doing all three urban legend movies, so it ties <gasps> right on in. One of those is good. <laughs> <laughs> two of them are not (laughs) i actually think that the uh, bloody mary one with kate mara is fine i have heard conflicting reports about the final two i've actually never seen final cut or bloody mary and i'm very excited the thing is final cut is so boring oh so boring that bloody mary even though it's not good is like light years better than what final cut is all right i look how funny would it have been if trace had been like number two is a really good one oh it's so bad (laughs) it's it's it's, it's Honestly, it feels like this movie. Final Cut feels more like a TV movie than Cherry Falls does. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, and that went to theaters. I'm so excited. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yay. Enjoy that. Look, I watched 10 Children of the Corn movies. My skin is thick at this point. Yeah, but you're not going to get any thirsty young corn boys in these movies. (laughs) Thirsty young corn boys. (laughs) Um. To to preface, <laughs> there were there are a lot of hot twenty six year olds cast in the Children of the Corn movies. They're technically playing minors, but they're still older than me, so I'm allowed to thirst after them. Oh my god! 
<laughs> daddy. <laughs> oh, no daddy is 26. Look, I'm not saying this. You're putting words in my mouth. Well, something's got to pork your car. <laughs> also, I think I think Sergio's yelling at me from the other room because he heard me talking about the children of the corn boys again, and he hates it when I do that. The corn boys. That's so gross. The title of Brennan's sex tape. Oh. So... It- if you want to reach me on Twitter, you can reach me at at Traced Thurman. And I am at Beast All My Remote. That's the letter B. And be sure to use the hashtag HorrorQueers in your tweets so we can find you and find all the wonderful or horrible things you've been saying about us. Mm-hmm. And if you'd like to tell us something that cannot fit into a tweet, you can email us at HorrorQueers at gmail.com. Or also continue reading our articles because... They're good. Yeah, that shit goes up once a month. I actually just reread your article on Sliver because uh, I guess this is a, a scoop for an episode that will have been long released when this comes out. We're doing Sliver on Queer Wolf. Man, uh, you want to talk a boring movie. Enjoy that column sex. The column sex is great, though. Yeah. Oh, it. I had a great time, but irrelevant. Listen to that episode. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I will listen to that episode. For sure. And then, of course, if you like what you listen to and want even more content, then please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash horrorqueers. Uh, you cannot search for us because we are an explicit Patreon, so you have to actually use patreon.com backslash horrorqueers. Mm-hmm. We talk about incest too much, I think. That's yeah, maybe why. It's probably true. And yeah. corn boys, too. <laughs> 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 But yeah, so in there you'll have our reviews for Happy Death Day to you and Velvet Buzzsaw. And we'll have our review for us coming out in uh, about a week or so from now. And uh, yeah, we also like to thank all those patrons, of course, because we like your money. And of course, big thanks to Bloody Disgusting for sponsoring this podcast and allowing us to promote it. So keep reading Bloody Disgusting as well. Joe, what are we covering next week? So next week we are... Sticking with the late 90s trend, so uh, amusingly enough, we're doing a cinematographer back-to-back bonus, and we're going to watch 1999's Ravenous by Antonia Bird. Which is about men eating other men. Mm-hmm. But maybe not in the way that you're thinking. I hope it's the way I'm thinking. Maybe it is. All right, well. Cross out Cherry Falls. Cross out Horror Queers. <laughs> Stepping oh. on my line, bitch. I know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry.